Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello and welcome back to a, another edition of the Full Ride here on the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Oof. Wild, wild weekend uh, in the state of Tennessee. We had Tennessee, Memphis, and a scrimmage on Sunday, and that was the only, the only <laughs> Tennessee athletic program that participated in uh, this beautiful East Tennessee weekend uh, down there in Tequila, Georgia, as he gets ready for a house divided weekend uh, up ahead on Friday night, uh, Friday night lights with his Tequila or his now. Uh, just by geography, Tequila Falcons going on the road to his alma mater, the North Gwinnett Bulldogs. Is that and, right? Yeah, and round one of their playoff uh, game this weekend. Didn't, so Didn't even realize. Well, I'm surprised because I'm sure that the Tequila Kroger is bumping and it's the talk of the town right now. Well, you're a public guy. That's probably why you're missing it. You're you're not there with the people over there in Kroger. You're, you're, you're go back and guy. forth. I'm not, uh, I, don't, I don't have a go-to. Certain things have they got at Publix and things got at Kroger, but you're distracting the people. You're burying the lead here. I think is what's going on. Mm. Um, we had a matchup of number one versus number one this weekend, mm-hmm. and I think we saw who the true number one team in the country was: the Georgia Bulldogs. Can we just we just jump right into it? I feel like this is uh, this is the elephant in the room right now. Um, it was it was a huge game, man. Huge atmosphere. Georgia could have, I like. What did uh, Nick Saban say last year? That that rat poison was yummy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously, you're going to come ready to play regardless. But putting Tennessee number one in the polls, putting Eric Ainge putting out some just disrespectful comments about Sanford Stadium, just all the kind but of they weren't because bull- he was two and zero in Athens. He was two and zero. And it was a very different time. The Mark Richt era during that time period and what Sanford Stadium was at that time was different than what it was. So, on so Eric Ainge could say Sanford Stadium used to not be a tough place to play. He should have used said that. Used to not be in super yes. loud because I think there's some truth to that, honestly. But since you're also, if Eric Ainge, if you're playing on Saturday, yeah, go for it. You, you run your <laughs> mouth all you want. The, the team's one that had to back that one up. Obviously, he uh, issued an apology on Twitter, so he had to eat it. Oh, did he? I didn't even do that himself but um but yeah it was uh the georgia bulldogs i think that's what it came down to i i just had this feeling like i kind of told you about the sec championship 2018 and kind of referenced like this was the big game of the season this was everything and georgia dialed up pressure non-stop on hendon hooker and you just you hadn't seen them do that all year seven sacks or i think 10 sacks on the year coming into this game and they they were they recorded six, but according to Jake Rowe, I've seen a couple. It's actually eight sacks because uh, Tremel Walthour and uh, Ryan Davis both had a sack. He sh- shared a gif of that weren't recorded in the stats for whatever reason. So eight sacks in this game on Hendon Hooker. I saw Georgia winning battles, like kind of what I said. Like this this offense wasn't just going to be unstoppable. I did not see Georgia just absolutely putting on the shackles of this offense, like. The first nine drives of the game, they had six points, two field goals, two turnovers, multiple punts. Like I was, I was really shocked, and I think all of college football was shocked. As a person who thought Georgia would win and thought Georgia's defense could could keep up with them, at least limit them, 
I was still surprised at just how good the Georgia defense really looked. Like it was the secondary was looked great. The defensive line, like creating pressure without really blitzing that all that often. And even the 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 corners and, and the star, Javon Bullard. I just think Jalen Carter was just Jalen Carter just destroys offensive lines. This man, I think, is the best defensive lineman in the country. And I just this Georgia team, this is what we talked about. Like this offense, I feel like just kept being slept on. And you saw, like, can you you referenced uh, on the on the podcast before, like if Georgia's gonna win, they gotta get these explosive plays in the passing game. And my my rebuttal was no, if Georgia's getting those explosive plays in the passing game, it's gonna be a blowout. And that's and that's really what it was. It was domination. You saw the long, the long pass to Arian Smith early, the long one to to Lad McConkey for the touchdown, hitting the backs on on hitting Kenny McIntosh on a long one. Like it was just Stetson Bennett played maybe his best game of the season, probably second best to to the Oregon game. He was just after the that initial drive where the almost threw just a pick right into the chest of the middle linebacker. After that, I guess it was kind of like the Alabama game, the national championship, he where he dropped the ball and was able to recover it. He just needs that one little uh one little wake-up call early in the game to get his mind right. But yeah, Stetson Bennett making plays with his legs, making plays, uh hitting deep balls. It was just a great offensive performance and just a ridiculous defensive performance from Georgia. People even got after me about it's funny you mentioned the the deep balls because it's like what I said where Georgia had to do things that they had just not done and they did those. So congrats to them. Like Georgia was clearly the better team. Like Georgia's going to repeat. I think now we're at the point where I don't see a path where Georgia doesn't repeat uh, and as national championships. There's just no doubt that they're the most complete team in college football this year. I mean, you're we'll get to we really won't get to Ohio State and Northwestern, but <laughs> they're squeaking through week after week now. Like there is now a uh, just <laughs> this is this is the case. And we saw what happened in Michigan um, and Georgia last year in the Orange Bowl. We'll see. That's the one four matchup again. If that is how the, the cookie crumbles, we have a good idea of how that goes. Oregon, we've already seen in the opening week, which an Oregon fan too, if you're going to make the case to get over Tennessee uh, as a, a four spot, even if you go 12 and one, you went 12 straight or whatever following the Georgia game, that was a neutral cider. That was, uh, that was indoors. That was uh, before Georgia had, uh, I mean, really gotten used to these new players. Malachi Starks getting his first start and, you know, a lot of new guys who had not started because Georgia lost so many dudes uh, to the NFL, 15 players, five in the first round, and they still beat your brains in. Um, and there's a lot of folks who uh, have said that, look, Georgia could have won by a lot more. Kirby took his foot off the gas in the second half because the rain and this, that, and the other. And it's like, well, I mean, the rain also affected Tennessee. Like that also affected what they were doing. Um, and part of what Kirby was doing, that nine-minute drive, the the Kirby, uh, I think y'all call it the Kirby death march uh, in the second half, that was by design. Like they wanted people, like they wanted to keep the ball and really just kill any any hope of Tennessee coming back because Tennessee gets the ball back to start off second half and do nothing with it. And you're like, oh, that's not good. That's <laughs> that's yeah. That's not a good sign. And then they're like, yeah, this is what Kentucky wanted to do. This is what other programs who like Michigan would try and do this against Tennessee. A lot of those kind of schools. And this is not a negative. This is how you want to beat Tennessee when you have the players to do that. It's just run the ball at them seven yard chunk plays after seven yard chunk plays and then just score. 
I mean, Rosemary uh, Jackson with, uh, I, that's it, right? Rosemary, what is it? Rosemary Rose, Rose Jackson. Yeah, and you look it up and he's like a top 60 player in his class. He just hasn't done anything. He's just he been away and he just pops up with the catch of the day that everyone's going to forget, I think, um, under the pie line where Yeah, that, that was would, a that was a pro catch right there. Right, and, that was a George he, Pickens catch. That was like one sure. and, and and he was coming along as a freshman, um, mm. but he he was the one when Georgia jumped up 14-0 on Florida in 2020 and he broke his ankle just like not Tyrone pro throw stuff, but just like mm-hmm. a gross ankle injury that he was, he was out of football for like a year or so with that. So he's like you said, big time recruit. And that, and that's what Georgia, that's what Georgia felt like coming into the year. There was just a lot of like, yeah, he's a solid receiver. He's a solid receiver. He like a lot of solid guys. And AD Mitchell was kind of that, like, there was no George Pickens, but AD Mitchell was kind of that one that was above all the, all the rest. So yeah, there's a lot of good play, and you and you finally saw McConkey really like that's how McConkey looked last season. I think that's that's what Georgia fans were expecting. He looked like you know making guys miss after the catch, hitting guys with a double move. He did that multiple times last year. Um, it, it's just they got they got the production they needed, and you didn't even really see much of the tight ends really being being used that much in this game. And that was something interesting because I like if you had told me that Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington would be completely shut down in this one and. Tennessee would still get basically blown out. I would have been surprised. I think a lot of even Georgia fans who were just dunking on Tennessee about like, uh, this is big boy football, blah, blah, blah. I don't think any Georgia fan saw that kind of outcome in terms of like the defensive slugfest, limiting Tennessee to no touchdowns until the very end, no touchdown passes from Hooker. Um, Not to make excuses, but there is part of this, and I'll get into where I came down is ultimately it didn't matter what else happened because of this element of the game, and Tennessee still has a long way to go here. Um, I mean, Hooker missed some touchdowns. Like, there was a couple plays where Hyatt beat his guy, and, like, Hooker airmailed two touchdowns. Like, that that did happen. You go back through the tape, it's like, Hooker's hit those throws so many times before this year, and you just can't miss those against Georgia because your window of opportunity... Is exactly so, it's Sorry, so slim because like keely ringo ran a better route than cedric tillman did on his interception like what are you doing <laughs> with that where he he there's nothing cedric tillman could have done there and cedric hasn't done anything like that in a month and a half he's been hurt um he gets uh, caught up with the ref in really awkward uh circumstances yeah. and i was like i thought he was out of the game at that point because he's hobbling it's the ref son that's not the rest fault but ultimately bad luck there Jalen Hyatt falls in a weird way. He's puking because he uh, falls in a bad well, way. Well, Hyatt was the one that that rolled his ankle on the rep. Well, it was high. I guess it was high, but Tillman did something else. What did Tillman do? I've got him crossed now. Tillman got he he reaggravated his ankle somehow, and I forgot what. It, maybe he got it uh, on the sideline by somebody else. I don't know who it was, but he reaggravated it, and you're like, oh god, is he back out? Um, but you can't miss those. Like Hooker taking six sacks, and this was something that I had just jotted down was just so frustrating and the difference between Stetson and Hendon I think came out a lot in this one where I think they're wired completely different as quarterbacks where Stetson is and this was always a a telltale sign that you don't watch Georgia football games is you call him a game manager that's what Hendon Hooker is like Hendon Hooker is an elite an elite game manager where he was taking sacks on Saturday because he was like I'm not turning the ball over I'm not throwing into stuff that isn't there and hoping for a prayer like Will Levis would have taken some chances in that game on Saturday and thrown some pick sixes. And a lot of quarterbacks probably would have done that. 
Hooker was like, I'll just take the sack and live to fight another day. And he kept hoping that he'd be able to fight another day and that the line would come through. And it just never came. Like a lot of those sacks were cover sacks, but also just like he didn't have time, but he was also not going to make the dumb play. He is so adamant about not taking chances downfield if it's not there and not taking chances really. I mean, at all, like he wasn't taking chances on the ground. He wasn't taking chances. It was, he was just he went into a shell that we haven't really seen uh, before um, as the Tennessee starting quarterback. Stetson, when he faces something like that, he escapes the pocket and he wants to run. Stetson like dives into the end zone and uh, scores a running touchdown. Stetson has no fear. He's going over the top. He's doing intermediate stuff. Even if he has what should have been a pick to open to Jeremy Banks right away, he's like unfaced. And he's like, I'm going to keep being aggressive. Like he's an aggressive, an aggressive player. And that was something that came, came true. And he outplayed Hendon in a lot of ways. But something you can't discount is the pressure. Like Byron Young was the worst graded pass rusher for Tennessee in this game. Uh, Tyler Barron had another just non-existent day on the edge. Um, Joshua Joseph's true freshman didn't do anything. Um, that's a big part of this is that Jalen Carter ate Javante Spragans alive on the interior. And J.J. Crawford, I think, gave up like five of those six sacks on the left tackle spot. And that was something that Tennessee thought they had solidified. Um juco transfer he's not a like he was not a high profile it's not a five-star kid at the the left tackle spot but he's been good to this point but then you're like oh right tennessee's got a uh juco uh just kind of this is gonna be a problem against the the teams like uh georgia the trenches is where this was lost to me it's just that tennessee does not have the bodies on the defensive line to pressure stetson and to really make his life bad and to really stop those seven yard running plays they had nothing for them even when the game was on the line that defensive line just does not have the bodies yet. Um, they have reinforcements on the way, which and Davian Bradley and company next year and Joshua Josephs and Tyree West and guys like that are going to be got. But the difference between Tennessee and Georgia right now is Georgia's seven years ahead of where Tennessee is right now. And that matters where you have so many guys. If you lose Nolan Smith, if you lose uh, Beal Jr., if you lose um, Jalen Carter, he has to sit out some plays. Like they just have guy after guy after guy. And you're like, wait, that dude's a five star. He just doesn't even play. Like he hasn't even been involved or he's a four star and he's just waiting for his term. And Kirby even talked about that. Like no one entered the portal and he's like, they've all stuck it out and waiting for their opportunity and this, that, and the other. But it like, it speaks to both sides of the ball where Georgia's offensive line manhandled Tennessee's defensive line. And Georgia's defensive line just completely annihilated uh, J.J. Crawford and Javante Spragans. And we should say, Darnell Wright, I mean, he's probably going to be a first-rounder. He held his own at the right tackle spot. Nothing came on. Uh, everything was Hendon's blind spot or straight up the middle uh, with Jalen Carter. That was it. Um, yeah, Javon, I don't know, but Javon Bullard sacked him a couple times yeah. on, on the corner blitz. Yes, there's just nothing. They had nothing there. And I think... It doesn't matter how many times you play that game over and over again. I don't think the result would have been any different because part of the trump card that Kirby has over Hypo right now is he's like, you can do whatever you want to do. You can play tempo. You can do this and the other. But like, we're going to murder you in, in the trenches. Like you, you don't have the bodies. Like college football comes down to some Game of Thrones stuff. And Georgia is the the Lannisters right now. They're they're Kirby's Tywin of just we have more money, we have more gold, we have more troops, and I'm smarter than you. And we're going and I've been here before. Like I've been doing this for seven years. And Hypel, it's kind of like the Rob Stark where he's just he went he's won every battle to this point. What he's like? What are you supposed to do? I'm the young wolf. I've won everything in front of me. 
And then there's a Tywin Lannister just waiting around, just waiting it out. And he's like, just come to Athens. Just come, come I here. Don't, and the, I don't know any to, of these references, but um, people, a lot of listeners. Get some it, yeah. people will know, but um, I think Kirby 100% that like that was 100% recruiting there at the end of the game where mm. he's talking about, yeah, none of these guys hit the portal. These guys just love the University of Georgia, all that. Because Georgia really does feel like such like the ultimate team. Like mm. the last, you look at the last four or five years, like been to mo- two national championships now. They just number one pick in the draft that wasn't first team or second team all SEC. It's like it feels like so many teams that are having their special year. It's a it's a star driven year. It's mm. oh yeah, they have a couple superstars and they're just having an amazing year this year. Where Georgia, it's like I'm not sure who the best player is, but they're just a damn good team. It feels like they've been kind of that same type of team for for several years now. Like like Nicobe Dean last year, like. That's the that's the Budkiss Award winner. He's the one that wasn't a first round pick. Like you got five first round picks. Also throw throw in there. It's like it's just it's kind of uh, just crazy how like a no name defense is what they called Georgia's defense back in like the seventies eighties type thing, and that same type of type of deal. But you can't call them a no name defense if you got five first rounders and more. Which you got Jalen Carter, maybe Keely Ringo or something. It's just this the way they've recruited and. And I saw Stake Shapiro say it, who I normally don't get college football takes from. Uh, Stake Shapiro tweeted Saturday morning, like, did all of a sudden we forget? Did Georgia just not have way more five stars and four stars on all over the ro- roster than Tennessee? Are we are we pretending this is going to play with Georgia? And obviously, I'm like, I'm, all right, I think Georgia's going to win. I'm not that confident now, Stake. But, I mean, that's really what showed us. It was just the talent difference. Like, it's... Well, I think that's stemmed from the Kent State and Missouri Missouri showings, right? I think that's where that kind of belief came from. I think if Georgia stomp, like curb stomps everyone to this point, that sentiment's not ringing true. I think part of it was just Georgia kind of sleepwalking through that first part of their schedule and sleepwalking a little bit for Kent State and Mizzou. I think that really changed a lot of people because, I mean, Tennessee's got more talent or a lot better than Kent State and Mizzou I think that was a major part of it was that Georgia had been kind of sleepwalking to this point uh in the calendar season and I and I guess maybe part of it was the second half comeback by Florida and, the, and uh the in Jacksonville maybe was another part of it like if Florida can put that on what can uh Tennessee do this on the other and we should mention too major part of this Georgia's crowd absolutely rattled them. Like there were so many pre-snap penalties. Yeah. Like there were what two or three I, I on one drive eight. alone. I think they said eight for the game pre-snap yeah. penalties. That's insane. That's that's clearly just Tennessee was absolutely rattled with the crowd noise. And um, I forgot who it was. I think it was Graham Coffee, friend of the pod, who tweeted this, where he's like, "Yeah, like people who said that Tennessee would not be affected by crowd noise because um, of the way that because they use their tempo and they just get this in really fast." They still look over to the sideline and if they can't hear the checks in the sideline and they can't look over and get a good read of what's going, what they need to do next, then that's a problem. Um, the crowd cannot be understated how much of an impact that was like Georgia fans uh, really, really showed up and showed out. And hey, if you're going to spend that kind of money, that's that's absolutely what you should do, because that was a that was a tough ticket on uh, on Saturday afternoon. So Without a doubt. you got to get your money's worth. And and it was just. Constant pissing contest too, like last week of like, oh, but it's not as loud as Neyland. It's like, okay, well, the game's not being played in Neyland. So it's like, that's that's great and everything. Maybe Neyland is louder, but it's this game. You just knew that 
uh, Sanford Stadium was going to be absolutely electric. So, yeah, it was all tech. And I think back to the recruiting aspect, the current part is like it's back, like specialist essentially. And I feel like the first, I don't know, several years that Kirby Smart was there, we, we seem to have a lot of overachievers kind of in the secondary. It was like maybe not the most elite talent, but we're getting like elite production out of them. But it feels like the last, I don't know, three or four years, Jordan at corner, at safety, like Malachi Starks, like this guy made so many open field tackles that like prevented big plays, like like a, a one – one guy away from from breaking a 15 20 yard run and and he would he yard gain so uh malachi starks came to play in this one but um a couple stats to leave you with um for mm. this one tennessee two of 14 on third down in this game and really one of those shouldn't even counted because on that second on that second uh scoring drive tennessee had that third and five i want to say around midfield in catch that ball clearly hit the ground, but Tennessee runs so fast, goes so fast, they like got the other foot. So it was two of fourteen, and that one really shouldn't have counted. And that led to hmm. one of their because you could see the, the defensive back's hand in the guy's hands. But um that led to one of their drives in the in the first half. But um the other one I'll lead you with, I'm gonna call it Josh Heupel's curb tonight, is what I'm gonna call it here. Kirby Smart. Josh Heupel, every single game uh, as the Tennessee head coach that's not playing Georgia, Tennessee has scored 44.5 points per game. Two mm. games against the Bulldogs, averaging 15 points per game. And I've said it before on here, but like you really won't convince me now seeing this Georgia ten- play this Tennessee offense. And I know Alabama played them on the road and Georgia played them at home. You'll never convince me that Kirby Smart was not the brains behind Alabama's defense the whole time. Like, you really won't. Like, Nick Saban knows defense. He's a great CEO and just knows the organization. But it's just so obvious what Nick Saban's approach to defense is compared to Kirby Smart. The fact that two years ago, this guy's like, you can't stop these offenses. You just have to outscore them. We got to do what everyone else is doing and outscore them. And Kirby Smart's saying, no, no, no. We can stop these offenses. You just have to know what you're doing. You have to be able to get the players to do it. You got to, and Georgia's got an elite defensive staff. Just seeing what Georgia's defense is now compared to the last four years, like Kirby's been the guy behind it the whole time. Like he, Georgia just recruits elite defensive players, coach uh, just uh, develops at an elite level, just schemes at an elite level. Like, this defense is just absurd. Like, if, if Tennessee can't score on them, like, like kind of referencing Ohio State earlier, like Michigan obviously still has Ohio State, but looking at Georgia right now, like Ohio State's the only team that I can really – Michigan or Ohio State are really the only teams out there that I feel like we don't know Georgia's better than right now. Like, no, I, we know I, Georgia's I like better than Michigan. We, we've seen this story before. I think you can make the case Michigan was more dominant last year. I think uh... – See, I think Michigan's a better team this year because I think McCarthy mm. just gives them another element. I, they haven't had a tough schedule, but but that's the only guy. That's the only teams you don't know for a fact. It feels like you know for a fact they're they're better than everyone in the SEC. Like Alabama's really with a second loss, just kind of out of the conversation now. Like with with what they just did to Tennessee. Like 
like the Oregon, the Oregon blowout. Like that's why I'm going to be interested in the Oregon Tennessee comparisons here in the next few weeks because Tennessee, I, I, I think people said because the the chaos yesterday with Clemson losing, Alabama losing, that their probability to make the playoff actually went up yesterday. Yes, it's gone up. So it's at like sixty-three percent <laughs> so, or something, but. It's but the think, third highest of anyone uh, in the fold to this point. Um, it still requires probably a TCU loss along the way. But yeah, as I long undefeated, as they... TCU definitely gets in um, mm-hmm. over a one-loss Tennessee. But then I think Oregon and Tennessee, I think that's going to be a legitimate conversation. If like Depending on how the season folds out, Like obviously the scoreline was a lot worse, Oregon and the Oregon-Georgia game versus the Tennessee-Georgia game. But... I feel like the the domination seemed just as equal. You know what I mean? It was like they, points matter they, though, and it was more. That was more. <laughs> the points matter. Uh, neutral site versus an away atmosphere, and I think the committee is going to look at that. Of just like how, how neutral was Mercedes Benz though? It was pretty neutral still, and you're in a dome. Uh, it's probably seventy five percent Georgia fans. I would. Say, That's like, fine, but it's still least. not the same. Like it was not a hostile yeah. atmosphere. It was not a hostile atmosphere for Oregon. We were not talking about after the pod. We're, we weren't like, man, that felt like a Georgia home game. That's that was fair. just wasn't breaking 130 decibels or that's whatever. That's what I'm saying. Like, like, I think the committee is going to factor that in. And the fact that the committee put Tennessee at number one to start off the CFP, they obviously have a lot of respect for them. The schedule matters. And they talked about that in the ESPN piece of like the committee has talked about that Michigan schedule being terrible is factored into what's going to happen. So I think. Because of their schedule, whoever loses Ohio State, Michigan's out. I don't think they're going to put two Big Ten teams in. I, I don't I think, the, think the X factor, though, is kind of like when Alabama loses, you know, like mm. if Ohio State loses to Michigan, that's when it changes. Like if Mich- if Ohio State beats Michigan, you're like, oh, yeah, Michigan, you're out. But if Michigan beats Ohio State, it's like there's still this bias that's like, ah, you know, Ohio State's loaded, though. They're, they are still really good. Like, I, I wonder how that would change the conversation. But depending on how things go moving forward, like Tennessee was really hanging their hat on the Alabama win. Okay, mm. now Alabama's lost to LSU. The, L- the the blowout at in Death Valley is still a huge win also. Like those are the two wins that had him as the clear best resume up until now. I think you'd have to say George has the best resume with two two blowouts of what, of what will be the fifth and sixth ranked teams probably in the in the playoff rankings. So Georgia probably has the best resume now. If Alabama is to lose maybe to Ole Miss or something, I know that sounds crazy, but like if they become the 15th, 20th ranked team in the country, that sounds ridiculous. Like that win no longer carries that much weight, especially by three points at home. You still have the win over LSU. Like I think LSU should be able to take care of Arkansas and Texas A&M. But if LSU is to drop one of these games, I just – they're, the Tennessee's resume might not be as it could like just be dwindling as the weeks go on. Whereas Oregon, like these Pac-12, how many Pac-12 teams we've got in the top 12 right now? Like three or four. But so they're going to start cannibalizing play, each other. Like they still maybe, USC and UCLA still have to play. Oregon still has to play Utah, and they see, play Washington so, this week. They're going to start cannibalizing each other. I'm not worried about that. That's the Pac-12. where it's big, is because if they beat Oregon or if Oregon mm-hmm. beats Utah, that's a big time win right there. And then if Regardless of who it is, I think it'd be better if it's USC just because of the the brand bias with USC and they've already played UCLA. But if USC can run the table from here on out and Oregon runs the table from here on out, like that's going to be like at lowest, like number five versus number six for the Pac-12 championship. And if mm. you Oregon wins, beats number six, 
the week and gets that conference championship title next to their name. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm only talking about Oregon. If USC is in the same situation, like, and they didn't get blown out by, by Georgia, they lost, they lose to Oregon state. Was that the who USC has got one loss right now, right? Who it was to, to Utah, Utah. Oh, in the two point conversion. Yeah. One loss is just by a two point conversion at the very, mm. both those teams, like the PAC 12 has got a lot of solid teams right there at the top that like, if you run through that tape, that uh, schedule, USC's also got Notre Dame, which is turning into a more respectable uh, opponent as well. So I don't know. I, I'm starting to think that Pac-12, if the Pac-12 champion can escape with one loss, I'm starting to think they can uh, they can get into the playoff. Maybe. I have my doubts. I mean, even if they do, like, I still think Tennessee can just sit there. And I, like, as long as they take care of business and they're favored by 20 at, against Missouri this weekend, and I think they'll probably steamroll the next three and the committee factors in what the team like they had it it seems like context matters because strength of schedule tennessee obviously has the best strength of schedule of anyone in the like top six seven whatever and you can look at like Pitt down the stretch or florida down the stretch but like they factor in what was the circumstance going into that week what where were they ranked how big of a game was it that particular week um and like you said it's like even if alabama goes down lsu's rising right now and tennessee went into death valley and blew them out um so that's going to factor in i the committee clearly has strong respect for tennessee and does not have strong respect for the big 12 and the pac 12 um and michigan uh, i think to this point too uh with the schedule i think michigan's gonna have to run the table uh to get in i don't think they're gonna get um and at large i don't think they're gonna do two big tens but you know what's funny the doomsday for all like their schedules are too weak yeah but it would be hilarious because i think you could actually make a really compelling argument that this is the case that the four best teams in college football are to you the best cfp possible is to do two big ten two sec but you can't do it you you can't do it the committee cannot leave uh the acc the big 12 and the pac 12 out but like if you do one or one Georgia, four Michigan, and then two Ohio State, three Tennessee. Would that not maybe be the most best games? Or Tennessee, Michigan at two, three, and then Ohio State, Georgia in the first round. Would those? I just not I feel like Michigan's got a. I feel like Michigan's got a two-game season this year, and if they lose mm. one of them, I can't put them in the college football playoff. But like, wouldn't you say that they're still probably one of the four best? I mean, I think it's possible. Right, right now, I would say they're the third best. Like, team if you had a gun to your head right now, Matt Green, who do you think are the four best teams on any neutral site that, like, just the four best in college football right now, one through four? Who would you say is the best four? Don't worry about just getting a Pac-12 team in here, a Big 12 team, whatever. Who, in your heart of hearts, do you feel are the four best teams in college football right now? I don't like how you're phrasing this question <laughs> because TCU should be number four right now. Not what we're doing. Um, Do you but think Tennessee, they are, yeah. Tennessee is the fourth best team in the country, I think. I, I I, mean, honestly, I don't know that. I don't know that Tennessee's not better than Michigan. I don't know that Tennessee's not better than Ohio State, honestly, with how they've looked. But that's that's how I would rank them was Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Tennessee, if I'm just if but I'm you just see, going we're on the same page. We think that the two, four best teams are two in the Big Ten and two in the SEC. And that's something else that's coming out of this where Georgia fans look, I don't want Georgia fans coming at me, but can we not acknowledge that this is also insane that Tennessee's here 19, 20 months after Hypel took over in the roster that they have, that this was even just the game of the century and build that way? Yeah, you're ahead of us. And look, Tennessee fans were pretty choppy and they were like, I was going to say, we're yeah. coming for the East and look, enjoy it. All that good stuff.
But it's also true that Georgia losing that game would have been a problem. That would have been like, oh, this is insanity. Like Tennessee, because remember, what did I say before the season? I said Tennessee would split Alabama, Georgia. I said it before the year. I'm like, I don't know which way it's going to go, but they're splitting those two. They're beating one of the two. They beat Alabama. They lost to Georgia. 11 and one, which is what it looks like. And just even if you don't make the playoffs, and let's also say what's unfortunate is that something that we have not adjusted i think older fans haven't adjusted to is that the other bowls don't matter so when they're like oh a new year six like tennessee's probably looking at a sugar bowl appearance it's like okay darnell wright's not playing in that game cedric tillman's not playing in that game Hinden hooker is not playing in that game i can go up and down the list a lot of quarterbacks seem to play though Hinden like, hooker will like not trask, play in that football like game trask play in the sugar bowl like, I don't know. It's something about it. quarterbacks. They they seem to play more than like the skill position, like McCaffrey or someone not playing. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't I'm know. Not I, inter- I, like, that's not a big deal to me because I'm like, yeah, Bulls back then. Yeah, I agree with you. Sugar Bowl where it's like everyone's going to be in and it's a big atmosphere. But I'm like, I think there's going to be a bunch of people who don't play. It's probably going to be Joe Milton under center. I, I, I have no but, interest in that. But speaking of the doomsday scenario, the doomsday scenario is still in hand. It Which is, is what? We it was a it was three SEC teams. It's still oh. it's still possible because I think everyone thinks TCU is gonna lose, right? Yes, I think they're losing this weekend. I don't think they're beating Texas. Yeah, Texas is what like I think a seven point favorite at this point. Yeah. Um, so if TCU loses and you have a one loss Big Twelve champion, it's gonna be hard to be a. Well, this is what has to happen. LSU runs the table and beats Georgia in the SEC championship. Mm. If that happens, LSU is getting in the playoff as a two-loss SEC champion. Georgia is definitely, and Georgia will be ranked ahead of Tennessee. Whatever, wherever you decide they are, Georgia will be one spot ahead of Tennessee. That Big Ten champion will be in. If if the Pac-12 champion doesn't get out with one loss, like if, if that's a two-loss conference champion and TCU has one loss. That's legitimately that can happen. The thing that I don't think is most least likely to happen is LSU running the table and beating Georgia. I think that's it's possible. They just beat Alabama, but I don't see LSU beating Georgia to this point. So in that scenario, like who makes the playoff? If we got a two-loss Pac-12 champion, TCU with one loss, you're talking Georgia is the one seed. Big Ten. Oh, I champion can tell you what they're gonna do. They're gonna do the, the Big two Ten. Seed. They're what I'm saying. I, like they're you're getting Michigan and Ohio State. You're getting both. I think you're that's true. That is the scenario to get SEC versus Big Ten because honestly, that with how transpired in this season, if we got Georgia versus Michigan first round, Ohio State versus Tennessee first round, that would be a satisfying playoff. <laughs> like, I don't know. Right now, TCU is the four because they're undefeated. And if they get in, they should, they should, or if they go undefeated 100%. They're in. It's the Cincinnati but, thing um, where it's like you have to do it because they went undefeated and they look great. And you're like, I can't. But they're way I, better. They're way better resume than Cincinnati. I don't think so. I think Cincinnati last year is a better team than TCU this year. That Cincinnati I mean, team had NFL players all over the place. Sauce Gardner, Kobe Bryant. They did have a lot of NFL players. But in terms of resume, like I just respect that Big 12 schedule more, like more than the AAC. Plus. I mean, they did play Notre Dame at a con. Like that was the I win. Mean, they, they played Georgia decent. No, like two in years the ago. year before. Yeah, yeah that's no, what I'm saying. No, like, they played I'm Georgia saying, decent. We've seen it. So what I'm saying is like if you got t- that last year's That's not Senate, on their 2021 resume, is it? What they did in the 
in the previous well, year's I'm ultimately like if you throw that 2020 cincinnati because i mean they played georgia decent in that bowl game like they were in it and obviously a lot of set outs and stuff like that for georgia but like if you put cincinnati against georgia this year that cincinnati team or even last year's team i think they hold their they're they're built in a way and luke fickle's a good enough coach where i, I don't know i think i would i would be, be similar to what the bama game was better yeah like it wasn't a blowout but they held them basically yeah. Kind of what happened with Tennessee, where it was just like it. it ne- the score did not really indicate how the game actually went. Um, well, I, what do you what do you mean by that? Because I think that was a a, a huge blowout. Georgia, no, what Tennessee. I'm saying is I think Alabama was never nervous about losing to Cincinnati at any point in that game. I think they were never yeah. like, oh, we really got to. Georgia was never once nervous on Saturday about losing that game. I feel like Cincinnati Alabama was a way closer game. Mm. Like that was actually into the third quarter where it was like But do you think Nick Saban Cincinnati was, was getting blown out? Like just the fact that Georgia's jumped out so quick, like it felt over it felt over by halftime pretty much. Like mm. and Georgia just kind of took the took the air out of the ball expression is, but but yeah, it was a uh it was a fun night at the uh at the green household, that's for sure. I was uh Got a lot of text messages about the uh, the podcast that uh, it's like you know, have fun talking to Chase Thomas on the on the podcast tomorrow. There's a lot, that was a lot a lot of people were 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 texting me. So people were on Twitter were, like, uh, "Come get your man, Matt Green," to me, and like every there was a lot of Twitter stuff uh, directed at me uh, after this game. But I, I feel right? like I've been See, nothing. But, I, feel, I feel like I've been classy about say. this whole thing. I was going to say the exact same thing. Guys, my brother was was t- even talking. He made a comment that he thought you were going to be way more, uh, I don't know, brash uh, on the preview episode for, for this game. But uh, I, I didn't think you were. I was, And so I was like, in terms of uh, talking trash when on this podcast, I was like, you know, he was, he was classy in lead up to this game. He was classy post game. You hit me with a congrats uh, mm-hmm. text. So no, I'm not, I wasn't going to rub it in. No. And look, the one thing I the the only thing I rub in is like the everything school. That's the only thing I like to to just be a little little over the top with because look, man, uh it's it's a fun time and that's a it's a fun hey, thing. Hey, like being see. good at every sport, that's cool. We're trying yeah. to win championships over. I here. know. That's if you want to be top 10 every sport, you know, have a yeah. good time, win more games than you lose. Like that's cool. You guys just you guys just having a good time. That's, that's what I'm that's saying. Cool. We're having a good, the vibe is always good. Cause like, you know, you're always good. You're going to see more wins and losses uh, throughout the calendar year. It's a fun I time. will say this weekend, mm-hmm. it's hard to say when Alabama's losing, everyone roots against Alabama. This weekend, the Georgia Bulldogs were America's team. Oh, wow. I think Georgia, the Georgia Bulldogs were, were protecting the nation from the Tennessee fan base. Being but what's number, funny about that? Did you see all the Georgia one. fans on Twitter like immediately when they realized that Tennessee is now backdooring their way and the, like you thought they were getting sent away, that Tennessee fans were getting pushed away? And then Jason Kirk, I think, quote tweeted where he's like, "When you realize Alabama losing uh, ends Tennessee's playoff berth, but only to realize LSU winning uh, ensures that Tennessee is backdooring their way into the college ball final," is hilarious. Yeah, I mean, they definitely. Uh... They definitely have a solid shot to to backdoor into it, and I mean it's like, but I don't even know why a Georgia fan would be that mad. Like, no disrespect to Tennessee, but like, yeah. after what you just saw yesterday, like, what's well, not about that? It's just like, oh, we beat you and you still get away that. in. Like, you're gonna That's get true. a buy because you're basically getting a buy. If Tennessee gets in, they get to skip the SEC title game and and really save a lot of a lot of tread on the tires. Um, 
for solid what a month that's off technically that's technically true but it's not a buy since they actually did play bama and lsu this year and beat true. them both so it's like it's it's legit if they if they beat the two best teams in the west uh basically so i also want to defend the overrated chant you can't people are you people can't you can't hate, defend it no nope. this is one you can't defend chant. matt green i put my foot in the ground for this one you can't defend it when you because are the king it's like one of those rules where it's like no. if someone has to tell you that you're you're the king or you're the president then that doesn't or you're the leader or if you have to tell other people that you're the leader then you're not really the leader it's no so just, this is my thing so yeah. in general i saw barrett salee tweet this and in general mm. i i agree with the overrated chant it doesn't always make sense because we're unranked Kansas State over here. You're number two Oklahoma. We're we just beat you. We're chanting overrated. So that means you weren't actually that good. So that's mm. why we beat you. But so it's like you're kind of downplaying your own victory in that sense. Yes. But when the team is number one and you're like, no, fuck that. We're number one. Then you all then the overrated makes sense because, like, no, you guys are overrated because you are not the number one team in the country. We, in fact, are the number one team in the country. So I will defend the uh the overrated chant in, in this scenario. But okay. um yeah. Rick Barnes was, shouted at the Tennessee fans uh when they were chanting overrated uh one game last year. Like he was shouting, like knock it off. He's like, That's so stupid. Um, like you could hear him on the mic saying that's so stupid. He was so mad. And I forgot it may have been Auburn. I'm trying to remember who it was, but he was chanting they were chanting overrated to somebody. He was losing it. Like coaches hate it. Like coaches, you talk about rat poison, chanting overrated at a team uh is a good way of uh getting them more motivated to hey, if uh, it's, come to some like like some let's play football type stuff like uh there, there's no problem if you're saying overrated when the game's starting yeah the head coach probably hey guys let's settle down let's just let's yeah. play the game first but fourth quarter celebrating the win i'm all for it um rumors of alabama's demise i think are a little a little nuts matt green i'm now seeing immediately after this game the reaction theater of like the alabama dynasty has ended folks uh did you hear about this matt green the alabama run for nick saban is over he's lost two games he's not going to make the college football playoff this year they lose on a two-point conversion try and in, in over uh to lsu brian kelly who's been bold all season long didn't pay off in the tennessee game he's going for it on fourth a lot doing the really aggressive stuff and he messed around and got blown out but Jane Daniels has been incredible the last few weeks. He's really blossomed into a big time player for um, the Tigers and has just been phenomenal for them as they now look like they're in the driver's seat to win the SEC West. But look, Alabama still is the number one recruiting class uh, for 2023 for 247. Um, they, they just got the uh, top kid in the 2024 class at quarterback um bryce young is still awesome and he deserves all the credit in the world there's a good tweet by uh clint lamb of bama insider who when i and this was my thought too when i'm watching this like they gave bryce Young the ball back lsu did late and i was like oh here's bryce's time he's gonna drive down do his thing and score because bryce young you just can't kill him man the dude just he is the calmest most cerebral quarterback i think in in the league right now and i i i Stetson's right up there with him. Um, Hendon doesn't really have this. This Bryce is just different in terms of how much of a pain and how much no quit attitude this kid has. 
And it's unbelievable. Like Bryce Young was meant to play quarterback and he has to have it when you're that size. Like you have to have other other worldly talents to make up for that. And he does. But anyway, the tweet was just like the Ted movie uh, uh, moment where he's like, my time assholes, where Ted gets off the bench and he's like, this is my time assholes. And he's like running up to the the bench to testify. That's like Bryce Young, whatever. He's like, all right, my time. Like, and he hops on the field and just is like, all right, I'm going to go drive on the field. I thought it was over. And then LSU drives down and uh, they obviously go for it, uh, uh, go for it on, uh, for two in overtime when they didn't have to yet. This was not deep into overtime where it's two over. Uh, uh, you have to go for two at every point now, um, which reminds me, we really haven't had any crazy seven overtime games where it's like, oh, these overtime rules are insanely stupid. And this is not a great way of deciding who wins this football game. We really haven't had that this year. It We've seems it. like. Oh yeah, we had a couple last year. Yeah, we had a couple last year. We we're like, oh, these are these are terrible, and it just has not happened. Knock on wood. Um, but look, man, I am not there with Alabama to just write them off. What I think is going to happen, though, and I think I don't know if I texted you this or it was in my family group chat, but I was like, what's going to happen is actually a little more scary. Saban has signed on to twenty thirty. He's not going anywhere. But if you're an assistant, I hope you're winning because I think that's where changes are happening. Is Bill O'Brien, he's gone. I think Pete Golding might be gone. It's big game hunting season on replenishing uh, this staff and figuring it out because you look at this game plan. Jameer Gibbs was averaging 6.6 yards per carry and he had 15 carries in this game. The wide receivers, they have talent everywhere. Like they have not done anything with it. Like Ja'Cory Brooks, whoever, Holden, Burton, None of these guys are doing anything in this offense. Bryce Young's having to do everything, and he's like just running for his life and trying to find Jameer Gibbs on out patterns. And Cameron Latu is his favorite target. It's not good. It's a problem when Cameron Latu is his favorite target, and that's he's just not an explosive guy. So Alabama's offense was extremely limited again um, against LSU. And look, still a lot of talent, a bunch of talent coming in next year. I am not even close to writing the Saban's lost the dynasty. What's happened? is Georgia has just become a better version of what Saban is. Like they are now the best program in college football. Georgia is number one. Here's the thing. Alabama is just number two. Alabama is still right there. I am not ready to do this. And this is a mistake by folks to write off Nick Saban in Alabama at this point, because when you see a program fall, like Jimbo is a program in decline where it's like, oh, this is going off the deep end. There is no, when the recruiting falls off a cliff at Alabama, then we'll start talking like when they start going six and six, seven and five for a three year span or something. We'll talk. Alabama is probably still going to win nine games this year, like maybe 10. Like this, they're fine. Just a down year. And I get the whole comments about like it was a reloading year last year. And that irked a lot of Georgia fans that they were in a reloading year and that they were the preseason favorite to win the national title. I get all of that. But that's the point. They were the preseason favorites this year. That is not a sign of a team and a dynasty that's in decline. None of this is in decline. I don't get it. Whoa. So hold on. I got I to gotta disagree with you big time here. So okay. I was going to start by saying, yes, this dynasty is 100% over. Like it is, it is clearly over because of the, if we're truly talking the dynasty, if we're talking mm-hmm. Alabama's window to continue to compete for national championships. No, that's not over. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like they're but still dyna- like the yeah. dynasty is clearly over because they were just so head and shoulders. Number one 
like every single year. And yeah, you might beat them, but you're still not better than them. Like Deshaun Watson beat them with a, just a ridiculous individual performance. And obviously Clemson had a lot of help. It was a shootout. But they weren't better than that Alabama team. They just happened to beat them that day. It was like just every time you beat Alabama, it's like the stars and the heavens had to align <laughs> for you to beat Alabama. Like they're they're just not that level of elite. And they don't they don't look particularly well coached this season. Like they look very undisciplined. They just do just very uncharacteristic Alabama things. So I will I feel like it's not even I don't even think it's up for debate that it's on the decline. Like it's clearly not what it once was. They have the number one class next year. They just got the number one quarterback. Like I think it's just a coordinator thing. I think it's kind of like a better version of what's happened to Clemson, where they promoted from within. Um, it just not very inspiring coordinators. They've been picked off a bunch, kind of like what's happened to the Patriots, where just so many assistants have been picked off over the last few years. Sarkeesian, Kiffin, Mel Tucker, Pruitt, whoever. Like, it would not surprise me at all. Like, I don't know what his show clause uh, situation is, but are we sure Jimmy Pruitt's not the DC at uh, Alabama next year? Um, I don't know what his show clause is, but um, they're gonna go big game hunting, and they're gonna. They're going to replenish the staff. And I look at it as just that, like, we've, you cannot, maybe in the sense that, like, Alabama winning as many national titles were the, the preposterous stat of, like, every recruiting class at Alabama's won a national title. Um, maybe that goes away. Maybe something like that is not as common. But until, give me a full recruiting cycle. Give me a four year window where Alabama doesn't win a national title before I'm ready to go. All right. We're in a different era of college football and save and stranglehold on the sport is not what it once was. I, I'm just not there. I mean, right now, what are we? So we got 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. That's a five-year span right there. They have one national championship. Oh, okay. like even yeah. even that is like, because they're not, I think we can say, they say they're not winning the national championship this year, right? No, that's over. Yeah. They're not. So like yeah. one national championship in a five-year span, like that's already just so uncharacteristic. So I feel like now they're just, they're a normal, great program. Like Ohio State is, yeah, great every year, but they might not be a national championship, like true, like national championship winner every year but they're a contender basically every year. So I think Alabama is just kind of regressing back to the field. And so like, they're still capable of winning a national championship. I'm not saying Saban's never going to win another, another championship, but I think their, their run as this dynasty, I think that is clearly over. Like you look at since 2021, 14 sec games they've, they've played since 20, since the start of 2021, 10 of those games were a one score game in the fourth quarter. Like mm -hmm. that's, Teams just don't play like that with Alabama. And even this year against Power 5 competition, they're averaging their average uh, margin of victory, basically average points scored and points allowed, 33.8 to 25.8. That's their average score in a Power 5 game this year. Like Bama's beating in six games. Actually, I, I left out Vanderbilt because Vanderbilt doesn't count as a Power 5. They, they, they're an outlier. They throw off data. So I just don't <laughs> include Vanderbilt. So basically winning games by a touchdown in, in six Power 5 games, which includes, I think, five five games and Texas, five conference games and Texas. So, yeah, it's just not the, not the typical just Bama standard that we're used to. The fact that we're actually talking about, like, they go to Ole Miss. Like, they just lost last week. We're not, oh, man, they're going to get pissed and absolutely murder somebody this week. You know, we're like, well, they just lost LSU. Yeah, they might could lose in Oxford next week too because that's a that's a tough offense. That could be a tough matchup for them. We'll see.
I I'm I, we'll see. We'll get to our pick 'em this week. Uh, with a lot of folks jumping on the lane train and the, a week off for la- the old Miss Tiger. Uh, the one last thing I'll say about Bama pertain as far as pertains to the playoff. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid, and I kind of said this a few months ago. I think the 12 team playoff will ultimately be fun. March Madness is fun. Seeing all these matchups we don't ever see will be fun. But the sport just overreacted to this Alabama dynasty. And it was like, oh, it's the same thing every year. It's like under any sort of format that you could possibly have, this Alabama team would have dominated it for the last decade. So I'm afraid, like looking at what we're looking with the top four right now, that we're like, oh, do we have like four like legit contenders? We have like six, like just looking at it and it's new teams, new brands. It's not Clemson, it's not Alabama, it's not Oklahoma. Like three, I mean, those three teams have probably have what, like a third of the of the playoff appearances right there. The fact that we're seeing new teams, I think it's showing that the four-team playoff was fine. And I'm afraid that the 12-team playoff was kind of a reaction to just like just this golden era, like this unheard of, unprecedented dynasty that this sport had. Possibly. We'll see. I mean, if you look at it, Georgia's dynasty is coming. And I think that's a big part of this too is that I think Georgia's on pace to go back-to-back. And if Georgia has taken that throne, then Alabama has to be the biggest loser in that shift um, as a whole. But we shall see. We shall see, Matt Green. Um, next up, Notre Dame, they run all over Clemson, blow them out. Uh, Clemson makes another third-quarter qu- quarterback change. Kate Klubnick throws one pass, doesn't go well. Uh, DJU struggles uh, again in this one. Uh, the offensive line was not good whatsoever for Clemson, but... Clemson, kind of like Ohio State, kind of like what you said with Alabama, they're just hanging around. Uh, they just are finding themselves in these dogfights week over week. Syracuse had the last possession driving, couldn't quite close the deal there, but they gave Clemson a really good fight on the road. It was due. Eventually, Clemson was going to drop one of these regular season games, but it just came to a team um, that has lost to both Stanford and uh, Marshall at home this season, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And Drew Pine, uh, let's see, the, he threw, yeah, 9-17 for 85 yards, one TD, no picks. Um, It's weird. Big win for Notre Dame, big win for Marcus Freeman and his program. But let's not overstate this, where it's like the, the Notre Dame stuff, like Notre Dame's back. It's like this offense still stinks. They ran over two <laughs> running backs going for over 100 yards. This Clemson team, the secret's been out all year long. This is not, they're not a great team. They're a solid team. You can make the case that North Carolina is better than Clemson this year. Um, Cause yeah. at least, you know, with Drake may and company, that offense is humming. And I wouldn't be surprised if North Carolina wins the ACC this year. Um, Drake may I, is the uh, number one pick of the, what is it be? 2024 NFL draft. That guy's, he's a baller. Yeah. And true freshman. Great player. Um, going to be Maybe fun to watch for years. Then. I think, yeah, I think he'd be 2025. My ear might be off. No, well, yes, because uh, it's like a four. It doesn't matter. Um, but by and large, I just, it's, it is what it is. Jeff Scott just got fired, so you can bring him back this offseason. Uh, who knows what Chad Morris is doing? Brent Venables might be on the way out in Oklahoma. Just get the whole gang back together. Let's replenish the staff. But it turns <laughs> out just promoting from within all across the board, it's not a great strategy. And Clemson just there's something off. Not enough where like the program's imploding or anything like that. But like you talk about Saban making big changes this offseason. I think Clemson's gonna have to look itself in the mirror and make some big changes too. And D- Dabo's gonna make some tough coaching changes, tough 
just philosoph- philosophical changes with the portal and stuff like that, that look, man, this was bound to happen, but I'm glad it did because we did not need to have this Clemson team in the playoff. I think this eliminates them from the playoff. I don't think they have the resume to even as a one loss team to get in. I think this is it. I think Clemson's out and that's a problem for the ACC. What did you make of it? That's fair. I uh, I guess I might have to change my opinion. Notre Dame may have been America's team this week because I was a, I was dreading Clemson being in the playoff. I felt like they were mm-hmm. going to run the table against this schedule, and I, they just do not seem like an elite team this year. But um, yeah, the only difference I think with them and uh, in terms of comparing to Ohio State and Alabama, when Ohio State and Alabama are like underperforming, you're like, I know they're better than this. Like, why are they not? Why are they not playing like they're capable of? At this point, Clemson, it's like, this is who they are. They're just not capable of being, maybe not losing, being down 35 zip uh, to to Notre Dame. But this offense has just been frustrating for a year and a half now, like almost two years now. Like it's, it's not really getting much better. Like they were starting, like once you saw uh, Shipley has started to come on and like that's made the offense a little more dynamic. Exactly. Like he was shut down and I just, the Clemson defense has not been nearly as dominant as we kind of thought coming into the season, but I feel like it was still a, a strength of the team, but to get absolutely shredded for over 250 yards on the ground, like, and then all the crazy intangible plays that just kind of turn this into a blowout pick six, take back 90 yards uh, block punt and take back for a touchdown. Like they just had all the makings of, of what you need for an upset. And yeah, I, I just, it, it seemed like, uh, Clemson was playing with fire like you you come out kind of don't look impressive enough times like somebody's gonna get you and it was it was the Irish and Notre Dame this has to make Notre Dame reevaluate their conference affiliation does it not no the, they're semi in the ACC here right now they've got wins over Clemson Syracuse and North Carolina you guys could dominate this conference. Go just make it official, all sports. Go join the ACC. They're the best team in the ACC this year. Just like North Carolina's getting a, a Sun Belt conference title this year, Notre Dame might get that ACC title. BYU last year in the big in the Pac-12. Getting that Pac-12, Pac-12 South title. Champs. Yeah. Um, but we'll see what ultimately happens. Um, but I will say, I think people are now overreacting a little bit to the Brian Kelly. I think Josh Pate um front of the show late kick he said and on his show on uh sunday night that or sunday evening um whenever you're hearing this but he i think he said it was the rare win-win uh marcus freeman getting promoted at notre dame and what brian kelly's doing at lsu that's tbd um because brian kelly won a lot of games at notre dame and brian kelly i think he made this jump where he's like i want saban with LSU players, <laughs> I want yeah. Saban uh, in the SEC. Like, n- not a win-win because Brian Kelly got this team to multiple playoffs. Brian Kelly um, has now shown, without a shadow of a doubt, this man can coach at Cincinnati. He can coach at Notre Dame. He can coach at LSU. The dude's just a winner. He wins wherever he goes, and now he has the best players he's ever had. And Notre Dame's recruiting well, right out of the gate here. But let's see. Drew Pines complete nine passes a week. Let's let's wait yeah, and pump our brakes on the Notre Dame is just they're they're fine. Like still haven't figured out the quarterback situation since Brady Quinn. Let's let's calm it down. To be fair, I did listen to Josh Pate uh, tonight, mm-hmm. and I think he was referencing something he said back in June. So I think okay. that's what he said back in June. And now I guess you're starting to get 
good vibes about Marcus Freeman because yeah. back in June, obviously they were recruiting really well and mm-hmm. everything. Um, but I'm still, I think the jury's definitely still out on Marcus Freeman. I mean, this is first yeah. year, first year ever as a head coach, but this is exactly what we talked about. Brian Kelly, you know, the first thing Brian Kelly said when he got, I don't know, maybe, maybe into his coach's office, just as soon as he could be private with anybody, he said, that's exactly why I came to LSU to beat Alabama. Cause I couldn't beat mm-hmm. them at Notre Dame. I couldn't get the players that I could beat them at Notre Dame LSU. He's not even got his players yet, but just the prerequisite players that, mm-hmm. that LSU has are just better than what Notre Dame has. It, this, there's just so much talent year in year out on this LSU roster. I, I think we can all agree at Orgeron, like he wasn't even really a good coach. You know what I mean? I'm honestly not convinced Les Miles was ever a good coach. They did some of the most bonehead game management plays ever and kind of won despite some of the coaches' decisions at some point. Those guys won national championships. Brian Kelly is actually a proven, really good head coach. Like, LSU could absolutely be building a powerhouse. The fact that they're this good year one. That's another problem for Saban. Like, if Brian Kelly takes control of the West, too, and Georgia's already taking control of the East, like, that's another problem. Yeah, the whole culture fit and everything. Mm-hmm. Sam Pittman's great up there. The culture is how's it going in twenty twenty two? It's it's the culture. Yeah, he's he's a really nice guy, but things aren't great right now. I think the the accent that Brian Kelly's got. I think I think they're liking it down in Baton Rouge right about now. Well, let's talk about Arkansas, who lost at home to Liberty. Uh, just a brutal, brutal loss. Uh, for the Razorbacks, who've had just a really rough year uh for sam Pittman, it was 21 to 3 liberty at the half um all this stuff was through the air um liberty could not run on arkansas but this was even more cruel where like liberty had a goal line stand and this says arkansas had a last uh little bit of shot here to win uh late and could not could not do it um sam Pittman said this is never what you want to hear uh with your program quote we've lost games since i've been here but not like this these games we've won since I've been head coach here. I know I might get tested on that. Why I said that. But we hadn't gotten beat like this. That's my responsibility. This is something that happens in year one of a rebuild. You lose the Liberty mm-hmm. or a good group of five at home or something like that. Where you're at now, where you were like, oh, is Arkansas the new like dark horse long-term challenger? Pittman recruits well, like a lot of good vibes, good coordinator hires with Riles and Odom and, you know, close to Texas proximity is there you know jerry jones money they got some boosters like arkansas might just be a sleeping giant and waiting over there then you lose the liberty at home and you're like life comes at you fast man this is there's no way to spin this this is an absolute embarrassment and this is also the exact kind of game if you're he freeze and you want a sec job this is the exact kind of game you had to have and man i don't know if this increases the odds that auburn goes harder after him but man Hats off to Hugh Freeze. I mean, just an embarrassment of a loss for Arkansas at home and just huge, huge, another huge notch for Hugh Freeze. That guy can just flat out coach and he's significantly better than Sam Pittman. Huge notch for Hugh Freeze. Absolutely. Um, It's like you said, like you mess around and play the best of the rest from the group of five. (laughs) Like one of them's going to get you. They had a close one over Cincinnati. Um, what was honestly kind of a close game at BYU and then, and then Liberty actually got him, stopped him on the two point conversion there at the end. Um, I just, yeah, like you said, like the A&M loss early on, it was like A&M's not a good team, but it was like, it was one of those fluky games. Like, yeah, he turned it over. They had that like 90 yard 
maybe 95 yard uh, fumble recovery for a touchdown. It was like a game you kind of dominated on the stat sheet, but you didn't dominate on the score line. Lose to Alabama, like in a game where you gave a good fight, but like they pulled away. And then once they lost to Mississippi State, that third straight, you're like, okay, is Arkansas actually a good team? Are we sure? Are we sure they're a good team? And then I feel like they were kind of go like the offense has been there, but the defense has just been scored on by everybody. And they were kind of at least going in the right track. I mean, if if they're six and three coming out of this game, they're still on track to potentially win eight. I mean, they're probably not gonna win nine games what they have left, but now sitting here at five and four, you're talking about it's it it you might not make a bowl game. Like we, I think they're gonna beat Missouri at at Missouri, that's not a guarantee. And like you got to win one of these next three. And you have LSU, Ole Miss, and Missouri. Like, I th- I thought this was the second best team in the SEC West um, coming into the year. And I even thought it after probably the first three or four weeks. But now, I mean, can they finish? I don't know what the standings are right now. Can they finish in last in in the West? Or is, is A&M kind of got that on? Or maybe A&M and Auburn might have A&M and Auburn, I think, have that on lock. But, but yeah, I mean, it's... um. Also on a separate story, a separate side note, is the SEC down this year? Ooh. I was just looking at a lot of teams. Like, it, it doesn't feel down when a, when a new team rises, like someone like Tennessee that feels like kind of a new kid in the table. So, But you have Georgia and Tennessee right here at the top. We are all kind of wondering about how good Alabama is. LSU... They're good, but flawed. After LSU, like who's the next best team in the con? Or I guess Alabama, you'd have to say is the fourth best team right now. After Alabama, like who's the next best team in the conference? Ole Miss. Okay, that you're right. Ole Miss. After Ole Miss, who's the next best team in the conference? I feel like there's just a lot of jumble to get Mississippi State, mm, Arkansas. Kentucky, I'd probably go Kentucky, but South Carolina. Like no, there's a lot of no. flawed teams. Like I mean, I don't. Do you know that? I don't know that Mississippi State's better than South Carolina. Yeah, you know Kentucky, what's interesting South is Carolina, I think the SEC really... is the the best. It's top heavy this year. Like the best of the best. Like I think the Tennessees, Georgias, Bamas, and LSU are significantly better than a lot of these other. And maybe Ole Miss. We'll see on Saturday. And but then you go to the big. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, then you go to the Pac-12. I think Pac-12 is probably the deepest. The Pac-12. I mean, the collection yeah. of UCLA, Utah, USC, Washington. Um, you didn't say you, Oregon. And Oregon. Like, they actually have a case to have the most, like, they have a, a cornucopia of 10 and 2 teams, it feels like. Um, yeah. That, look, they're really solid. I think the I think the Pac-12 is up. And the Big 12 is down across the board, I think. The Big Ten is down. Big Twelve is just chaos. It's hard to even call it down. I don't Kansas know. Kansas is it's... going bowling, man. Like it's down. Like there hey, is Kansas chaos is everywhere. Up, man, you you better put some respect on Kansas's name. Oklahoma State's not looking too hot the last few. Oklahoma's weeks, losing but, uh, games. Like Texas has yeah. barely been ranked. Like no, I would say the Big Twelve is definitely down it, this year. It feels like the Big Twelve, at least. I don't know. It's just an exciting conference to watch. The Big Ten feels like you got two teams and nobody else. Like you have mm-hmm. like a, a half of another team. Like I'll give you Penn State a little bit. It's like the the Big Ten really doesn't. It's it's pretty it's pretty top heavy as mm-hmm. well. But but yeah, I don't know. You got some of the big brands in the SEC like Florida, Auburn, A and M, all just just not very good teams this year. Like that that Florida Texas A and M game, like. 
it was it was an exciting game to watch, but it's like it's so weird watching a game like this with just nothing on the line, like zero stakes in this Florida Texas A&M game. Like it's just, I don't know. It was it was a weird a weird game to watch. I mean, it was I don't know. It's not not two teams we were expecting to be near the bottom of the SEC standings. Speaking of being near the bottom, Matt Green, Miami gets absolutely obliterated by Florida State um, over the weekend, where this stat is bonkers. Um, Miami's offense, uh, so they lose 45-3. Miami has not scored a touchdown in nine consecutive quarters now. Uh, This is Miami's fourth straight loss at home, their longest skid since 1973, Matt Green. This is unreal. Like, what Miami's offense and Tyre Van Dyke got hurt again in this one, they could not pass at all. On the flip side, Florida State... Jordan Travis having an all-time great year for for the Knolls. 16.6 yards per attempt. This game was over at the half. Trey Benson, another just sneaky dude for the Knolls, ran all over the Hurricanes. But, I mean, this is... Look, I understand it's year zero for Mario Cristobal and this new staff, but this is ugly, ugly. This is bad, bad. And I don't know, man. Like, if I'm a Miami fan, like, you get Cormani McLean and you steal him away from Florida, and you're like, the recruiting's coming. But you look at the actual coaching and like the inspired play and you're like, uh, I don't know if this is going to. Ch- I think you're starting to feel a little Jimbo-y over here. You're feeling a little Texas A&M-y if you're a Miami fan right now. We're like, yeah, we're going to get the dudes. But are we sure this coaching staff is going to get the most out of these dudes? Dan Lanning's doing pretty well right away at Oregon. Um, Mario Cristobal has got a lot of talent. The ACC is not good. And this Miami team's awful like this Miami team is awful what do you make of it I hate to put too much on a guy in year one especially because Dan Lanning has taken over a program who was already near the top of the Pac-12 anyway you know so Cristobal's going going to a program who's who's in the gutter right now and he's trying to take him out but like Florida State hasn't even been scoring on anybody <laughs> really this year like they've, they've been solid like they're they're they look like they're trending in the right direction but like to see them just open up a 45 spot. Like I think Boston college and Georgia tech are the only other teams that they've scored 40 against. Like it's, this is like you said, this is bad, bad. I believe for your, uh, <laughs> or your, or your terms there. Um, it's just, I don't know how Miami, I don't know. Like when Tennessee and programs like Tennessee, maybe in Nebraska, when they were bad, like obviously I'm sure you got some still shots of Neyland stadium looking pretty empty at times but for the most part Tennessee fans were still there and like supporting their team like this this Miami this Hard Rock Stadium seeing these games it's just like a joke like there's just absolutely nobody there I just I don't know I I I don't know what is it's Miami looks like a big time fix like I know they got NIL money I know Cristobal is doing a lot on the recruiting trail Damn, it's like this. It's some. There's some hard, uh, some hard results to ignore this year. Just getting absolutely the brakes beaten off you by teams like Duke and Middle Tennessee State, and now Florida State. Like, oh man, I don't know. It's it's not looking good year one. No. Um, also, we had K State getting obliterated by Texas. 
Um, oh, they lose by so like a one touchdown, like 34-27? No, this is an obliteration. This was another one of those where Texas was in control of this one, especially early. Like, I guess you can give Kansas State some credit for coming back here a little bit. But Deuce Vaughn average, uh, what was it, 3.8 yards per carry in this one. Um, B. John Robinson ran for over 200 on 30 carries. Xavier Worthy had one of the best touchdown catches I've ever seen uh, this season. He had a ponkers route. Xavier Worthy is a dude. And um, just fantastic player for the Horns. But Quinn Ewers was uh, perfect. This was 31-10 at the half, Matt Green. This one was this one was was over. Kansas State crawled back a little bit, but Texas man, uh, they're legit. Bijan Robinson outdueling Deuce Vaughn, and uh, Texas is coming. That date against TCU this weekend, it's big time. There's a reason that Texas is a seven point favorite at home for this one. Yeah, absolutely. And and the fact that you came that Kansas State did come back, outscored Texas 17 to three in the second half. It does justify like it, it does justify in a way leaving Adrian Martinez in the game, but I was kind of dumbfounded with how well Will Howard played for him to like not get any snaps in this game. Like it almost felt like I don't know if you remember last year when Georgia played South Carolina, it was coming off of the week uh, of the off the UAB game where Stetson started because JT Daniels had the oblique or whatever. And he comes out and throws five touchdown passes, like national player of the week. It's like he played so well. It was like second or third possession of the game against South Carolina. Kirby got Stetson in there. Like, you know, he earned it. Like, let him play a little bit. He threw a pick, I think, on that on that possession. But it wasn't great. And then JT Daniels kind of was the guy the rest of that game. But I felt like with his performance against Oklahoma State and the, just this the way the offense worked when he was in, it seemed like I don't I don't know why you didn't have like a plan to okay Martinez is healthy he's our guy we're gonna give him back but like I mean Will Howard is no slouch so I was I was very confused on on why they they wouldn't give him any playing any touches at all but any snaps at all really um, and and also like like we were picking this game like it wasn't a lot of X's and O's analysis on this game it just felt like. Oklahoma, they just absolutely murdered Oklahoma State. I just had, I felt confident they weren't going to bring that that uh, that performance two weeks in a row, and I feel like that's kind of who Kansas State is. And it was it was a letdown. But I also, I, I kind of put a lot of this on on the quarterback change coming in this week personally. Mm. Speaking of quarterback changes, Spencer Sanders out uh, for the Kansas or Oklahoma State Kansas game, and uh, that was a problem for the Oklahoma State. Uh, Cowboys Garrett Rangel, uh, not a Yellowstone character, but also not a good quarterback to this point. Freshman didn't want him out there. And uh, Jason Beam had a huge day. Kansas is going bowling, uh, bowl eligible in early November. Pretty wild stuff. Um, even after losing Daniels, who was having kind of a Heisman type campaign. So Devin Neal uh, grew up like a mile away from uh, KU. He has a huge day, 32 carries, 200 yards. Um, I thought this was telling from the AP quote, the Cowboys score a touchdown with 10 minutes left in the second corner. Their first points in 83 minutes spanning over their last three games. Bad times for the Cowboys. Yeah, absolutely. They, uh, the sunflower state was not kind to the Cowboys. Two straight losses outscored. Was it 80, 85 to 16 in those two games, I believe, to Kansas and Kansas State? And um, the last thing I'll say, the uni watch, um, mm. the uni police, I should say, on this one, 
Kansas State, absolutely awful uniform. Or Kansas, absolutely awful uniform. No, those were good. These, these red pants. Oh, no, those man. were good. Not a no, fan. Those were good. Not a fan. Huh. Mm, a rare L from Matt Green. Uh, from Honestly, with that, with I just can't take their uniforms seriously ever when they have that just cartoony Jayhawk on the side of their helmets. I just can't. Give me the who is it? Who is oh man? Who is the Reesing? Todd Reesing was that the yes. quarterback? You just want the give me KU? that day, the KU Akib Talib days? Yeah, just the KU. I, I'm give me that one. No, the cartoon Jayhawk is top notch. Mm, top notch. That is a that is just a classless take. Classless respectfully take. disagree, sir. Um, OU loses again. Baylor uh, runs all over um, Oklahoma. Did didn't matter that Blake Shapen had a really rough game. Oklahoma shut him down. Dylan Gabriel throws three picks. Um, just Baylor ran five TDs, ran all over them. And that's three straight wins for your Bailey B- Baylor Bears, Matt Green. Are you thinking Big 12 title? I have not ruled it out, sir. Mm. But, man, you have you seen this schedule? Mm. There are four teams now in, in contention, really. We got... TCU undefeated 6-0 in the conference. We got Texas, Baylor, and Kansas State all at 4-2 and in the conference. Mm-hmm. Baylor's final three games just happened to be Kansas State at home, TCU at home, and then at Texas the final week of the season. So the Baylor Bears are in control of their own destiny, but they also have to play the three – the other three best teams in the big 12 and it's hard to see them running the table uh this way but you know i am i'm squarely on the bandwagon sir i'm 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 believing i think they can uh i think it's possible that they can get a a berth here i think they need they need a tcu win uh over texas this week to, to help them out a little bit uh tcu who we talked about a lot here um morton goes down early in this one for uh texas tech who's been really good for them it seems like he's the guy tyler shook has to come back in and he has just a disaster uh in this one uh kendry miller is a dude man he ran all over texas tech in this one for the frogs um this coming from the ap the horn frogs reached nine and zero for the first time since 2010 a 13 and 0 season that ended with a rose Bowl victory and a number two national ranking so keep that in your pocket if you're wondering if uh the frogs are for sure Is gonna that go right down. number two yeah was that andy dalton that year, was andy dalton okay yeah. um so big year for them so it can be done like if you're just penciling in the frogs losing a game not so fast my friend get well were, they in, the, were they in the big 12 in 2010 though or was that still like the mountain west days do you know i'm putting you on the spot there we'll i'm not sure to, we'll i have to get like on it, that research i feel like this was like their first or second year in the big 12 i feel like they had not been in long i think they were in the big 12 i'll have to uh, i'll have to look at that because i know 2012 is when the sec expanded and mm. so i know it was around that time um 20 2012 was the first year they were in the big 12 so they were still in the mountain west okay uh in 2010 well, there you go. But you had that um, year with Trayvon Boykin, what, 2014, went 12 and 1? Yeah. Uh, that story did not end well. Um, <laughs> TCU has trailed, though, Matt Green, in the second half of four of its last six conference victories. That's the thing. It's like TCU is just hanging around with these teams week over week. Their offense is great, their defense has been don't break. But man, it's eventually going to come back to bite him. T- Texas Tech had a real shot at winning this game. 
and it was after losing their quarterback uh, in this one. I don't know, man. Where where are you at with TCU? Are you seeing enough where you're like, this is just going to fall, or do you think it's a dream season like 2010? Well, I got a new I got a new term that I'm trying to. Maybe we can start a hashtag. We can make this a thing. Um, the hypno toads. You know, yeah. they, that's catching on with with TCU. I'm calling them the pyro toads because they like to play with fire and each week tcu they are playing with fire they have like you said with these second half oh, man these second half deficits mm-hmm. it's gonna be a thing hashtag pyro toads mm-hmm. put on the put on the board um but i'm i'm drinking the kool-aid man like i it's hard to see them running the table because at texas is gonna be tough this week but i mean you look at the longhorns and what they've done like we, we talk about them like they're like the clear best team in the Big 12, the clear most talented team in the Big 12, but like they haven't been that week in and week out. It's not like Ewers got healthy. It's like, oh, yeah, now this team is who they are now that Ewers is healthy. Like Ewers has had some duds of games. Like So they haven't necessarily just brought their A game every week. I mean, it's obviously night game at home. Like it's going to be like a rowdy environment, and that's obviously going to be – I would say it's got to be T- TCU's toughest game um, of the season to that to this point. So it's it's not going to be easy, but I, I'm not just going to just count them out just because of the name brand, the, the name on the jersey. I think TCU's every bit as good as this Texas team, and and for no other re- reason, just that they're they're kind of battle battle tested. Like they've been in a lot of these games and they found ways to win. And the offensive attack, they've just been so balanced this year. Like. They run the ball well. Duggan is just – he's been the the straw that stirs the drink, if you will. And I just – I don't know. I'm not ready to say – if I'm – if I'm you put a gun to my head, are they going to be undefeated the week that we're announcing the college ball playoff? I'm probably picking against them to, to have at least one loss. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving up on them just yet. Okay. Um, I like it. Uh, who do we have left here? We have um, NC State Wake. So Wake goes down again, uh, messing around with MJ Morris, true freshman under center for the Wolfpack. Doesn't matter. Three TDs, no picks. Three picks for Sam Hartman. Um, thought this was fascinating from the AP. NC State has won 16 straight home games. Coming after that Clemson mark, the the new Clemson, many people are saying. Um, 16 straight home games to tie the program record set from 1972 to 75 under Lou Holtz, Matt Green. Forgot Lou Holtz was the coach at NC State. I had definitely forgotten that. Um, yeah, NC State, I feel like MJ Morris, this was a really surprising performance. I feel like ever since Devin Leary's gone down, I feel like it's just been inept quarterback play uh, from NC State. And that we've kind of joked week in and week out like they're really still in the top 25 like why are we why are we still doing this people think Mm -hmm. they're a top 25 team um but you you saw you know more of what kind of what they're supposed to be like the defense uh forcing a bunch of turnovers uh and and minj morris making some plays uh not only with his arm but with his legs too so he's a he's a georgia guy right i want to say is he from carrollton I, I remember question. he was a he was a four star prospect coming out of high school. So. We're high on him. He just wasn't supposed to play yet. Like he yeah. is, yeah, he is Carrollton. He is a Carrollton okay. Trojan. Good program down there. Yeah, for sure. So NC State, I was I was glad. Like I, I joked before this one, like glad these two teams are playing together so we can kick one of these teams out of the top twenty five. Um, Wake Wake Forest just is not is not headed in the right direction right now. So 
Good win for NC State. Also, this was the game uh, on, on the pick'em. Oh, we haven't even gone through our pick'em. I was waiting that yet. for last. I was gonna just get through these and just do it wrap with that. All right, that works. Yeah. I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten Matt Green. Um, we'll end on Washington on Friday. Uh, they survived. I told you, Matt Green, on the pod, on the preview pod. Don't discount the weather. Raining in the Northwest. This was going to be a weird Friday night game. Never discount the weird Friday night games. Guess what? Power goes out late in this one. I don't know if you saw this. There was a power outage uh, late in this game that lasted like an hour for Oregon State and Washington. So that game didn't end until like 3 a.m. Uh, East Coast time. It was a super late finish. But Oregon State uh, almost pulls it out. They can't like Washington. It took a 92 yard drive to set up the game winning kick um big big drive um for michael pennick jr who's had a fantastic year for the huskies but the man oregon state they just can't throw worst passing grade of the season for the beeves and when you're all run no pass gets one of the best passing offenses in college football you're gonna run into a wall husky stadium no lights all the rain no dub for mr jonathan smith and his beavers yeah, I thought this was a good win for Washington. Um, like you, you pretty much covered it. This was a the Friday night. I mean, you don't you don't go on the road and 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 mm -mm. beat teams on Friday night. You know those, those weekday road games, they're tough. And um, I don't know. It just seems like so many of these teams, right? That just what did they say? It had been like twenty years. It felt like it. It shouldn't been that long. Like twenty years since Oregon State's been ranked. Is that mm. what they, I thought I heard them say on the on the telecast? And then like first game number twenty three. Go ahead and drop this one. Get back out of the top twenty-five. But um, <clears throat> yeah, good performance from Penix uh, Jr. and a uh, good win for Washington. That can't be right. It can't be. Like I heard them say it because they said who the. I know the they made the college football playoff rankings for the first time ever this week. Um, but, but maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what it is. No way. There's just no way. I'll tell you right now. The. Uh... Yeah, that is not correct. The last time they were ranked 25th um, back in 2013. They were mm. as high as 7 back in 2012. So that was not correct. But it has been, I mean, that is a solid, solid decade uh, since they were last ranked. So, and I think that when they were, they were 25 in the preseason and um, never got higher than 25. So I'm guessing they probably lost the opener that year and never were actually ranked. But um, yeah, so there you go. I mean, they're moonlighting until they're uh, before they're left behind with Washington State to the pact or to the Mountain West, where they'll dominate for years to come. Washington State, Oregon State—that's going to become the new the new rivalry. Just the I don't know the the redheaded stepchild or something. Like no, you the, know what the, it is the, the left the behind left, series. The left Where's behind Kurt Cameron when you go. need him? <laughs> the left behind go. series. Um, well, Matt Green, how do we do uh, over the weekend? Um, how did we do? How, what was the final tally this week? Well, I'm a bit embarrassed now that because I'm not able to pull up the sheet. You so I don't brought have our, it up. I did. And I don't have their season totals, but I do know how many games back and forth. So I did the math ahead of time, but I've I've lost access to, to this computer. Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole thing. But um, your boy made up some ground this week, sir. Mm. I don't know if you were aware of this, but um. I went seven and four overall and seven and four against the spread. You, sir, went four and seven overall and four and seven against the spread. 
It was not your best week. So now on the season, I don't, like I said, I don't have the total numbers of the season, but I do know how many games back I am. I am now just one game back with four weeks left to play. I'm one game back uh, in the against the spread and seven games back overall. So. Oh, you're not coming back. I've got that on lock. I'm coasting. You know what's so, happening? Well, we had, so with three weeks and then the conference championships, there's like 11, that's 33 games and maybe, maybe like 40 or so with the conference championship weeks. So. Seven games with 40 games remaining. It's not insurmountable, sir. Now is the time to follow through on what I've actually joked about as a bit. It's time to follow through with the bit to no. ensure it's time I would make to you make all your picks first if that's, <laughs> if that's how it's gonna that's how you're gonna roll. You could do that. You could make me do it. I think we might have to. For the integrity. <laughs> you should probably do it just so I don't even have that instinct to be like, ooh, how many times have I gone away from that this week? I need it's to It's clearly it's clearly already in your head. Um, but yeah, you are uh you're you're more like a New York Mets kind of guy. I'm the Atlanta Braves, you know, just chasing you from behind. We're gonna we're gonna catch you here. You got about 40 games left to play. I think that's about how many games back the Braves were with 40 games left to play. So we'll see. The the good thing is I don't see a Mr. Freeze or whatever he's called across the screen from me. I, I don't see you catching me in that same same way. Oh, I have speed. Sir. What's his name? The Freeze? Mr. Freeze? What just the just the freeze. Just the but freeze. um, but yeah, would also, you do it? Oh, would you do I, it dude, you got... I could beat the freeze. But would you do it in front it's... of everybody? Would you be like the person? Would you run and do it on camera and do it? For... I 100% would. I, I I would do it just because like, I want to know how fast this man is. Like, it's just such a huge head start they give you. I feel like <laughs> if you're like, if you're a semi-athletic person with like a 30-yard head start, like surely you could you could beat him. But I don't know. I think Rennie Curran was out there, uh, raced him. Um, Did he win? And I think just... I want to say he barely got him. So mm. Rennie Curran was a little bit better of an athlete than I was. <laughs> um, so I don't know. But there's normal, legend, people, there's normal people that have beaten him before. But um, yeah, also a- along the lines of the pick um, Zeus, NC State was his home dog of the week. That's his third straight win for, for Zeus. Six and five on the season. Mm. Above also- 500. Exactly. Also, shout out to Tori, who actually won the weekly pick um, in, uh, oh, wow. in in the group. And is and among 15 people is in first place in the season standing. So <laughs> I don't know what she's doing. I'm in like sixth place, and I feel like I know a good amount about college football. Do y'all talk about your picks, or is she going blind every week? Oh yeah, she uh she's not completely blind because no. I what feel I'm saying like is like she, she doesn't absorbs... like discuss with you before. Like y'all do your picks separately, or is there some back actually, and forth? Actually, this last couple of weeks, she's actually like done her picks like with me i don't give her any knowledge it's like an instantly tournament bracket like i don't tell her what to do because i'm like look i don't know what's gonna happen that's why you should just fill out some random shit because your random guesses are might be better than my semi-educated guesses but Mm -hmm. especially college basketball i don't i definitely don't know nearly as much about college basketball as i do college football but yeah, so she, I, she honestly, she just absorbs everything I say. Like, I'm not really sure how she remembers everything I say, but so it's like my information is just locked in somewhere, and then she's got her own intuition on initials, mascots, whatever the case may be. Because T T C technically her first name is Victoria. I don't mm. hope I didn't hope I didn't uh, you know put her business out there, but she goes by Tori. <laughs> Middle initial C, so T C. She's uh-huh. been picking TCU all year long. Oh so, wow. And that's that's worked out well. So 
Uh, so yeah, we'll see what happens. But yeah, she's in first place in the season standings. Three weeks left to play uh, for for that one. Well, I guess four weeks because the conference championship as well. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's looking good for her so far. Mm, I like it. Uh, helmet stickers as we wrap up here on a Sunday night. Matt Green, uh, I've got two here. Um, you've got uh, two as well. I got Tanner Mordecai who uh, SMU just dropped a gazillion points on Houston and won that one uh, in an unreal uh, back and forth with the halftime score like added up to a hundred. Um, just an unreal game between uh, the Cougs and the Mustangs. Uh, so Rhett Lashley's got that thing cooking uh, where Sonny Dykes left off at SMU, uh, but he gets one of mine. And then the other one, I am giving it to Jalen Carter as a classy guy that I am. I gave it to a Georgia Bulldog because um, he was unbelievable in this game. And also, uh got kind of screwed i'll tell you he got screwed on the sack safety situation where i still will have no idea how that was not either a pass incomplete pass or a safety the one thing they landed on i didn't think was a possibility like i either thought they were going to say incompletion because i was like that's like the tom brady tuck roll type thing it looked like his arms i could see that being rolled no the tom brady tuck roll like i don't know what that was like the the hooker like that was a legitimate like throwing motion it looks like he's going forward or not yeah Yeah. like you said i we honestly i forgot we even we didn't even talk about that yeah it's and then it ends up being a touchdown for georgia anyway so it actually worked out better for y'all that it was nothing and that we had to punt and then you immediately score pretty quick after that so yeah without a doubt it was either an incomplete pass or it or was a safety or it was a safety and it was set up by maybe the greatest punt i've ever seen true yep. fre- true freshman australian I, I don't want to butcher his name i think scott thorson i want to say is his mm. name but yeah 75 yard punt went right out, went out right at the one like that was just that was an absurd play i think from from the momentum perspective because like that was it was seven three at that time and then Georgia punts on that drive. So they're backed up. I mean, I think he was standing on the 10 when he was punting that. So the fact that we were punting from deep and to to knock Tennessee back like that, I think that, that ended up being a huge momentum play in the game. But yeah, Jalen Carter was an absolute beast. I gave one of my helmet stickers to just the whole Georgia defense in general because, man, this Tennessee team was averaging – were they averaging over 50 coming in this one? Was it 51 or 49 points a game coming in this game? Uh, it was 49 point something. It was 50 the week prior, but they went down a little bit. Uh, okay. From last and, week. And to just get absolutely just shackled by this, this Georgia defense, I, I, I don't know who to give it to really. Like you said, Jalen Carter and this defensive line was just creating so much pressure, but also the secondary, it seemed like half of those sacks were probably coverage sacks. So from the safeties, from the corners, from the star position, it just seemed like every everything that that this defense needed to do to shut down Tennessee, Tennessee's offense, that that's exactly what they did. Um, playing on on keeping it on George, I gotta give love to Stetson Bennett. I think Stetson Bennett was just his his touchdown run. I felt like it really that was like the momentum that it, that Georgia needed in this game. It it feels like not to be disrespectful of Stetson Bennett. But he's not the superstar player. He's he's not he's not the Down syndrome kid on the team, right? Like the Down syndrome kid comes in and shoots some threes, like, and it's like this great heartfelt story, right? The kid who doesn't play at the end of the bench, he comes in and it's like, oh, the, the team goes crazy. It's not that extreme. But there is an element to that. It's like 
Stetson Bennett's running around making plays. It's like it, the whole team just eats it up, right? Like he broke that 70-yard run uh, against Auburn or how a 60-yard run against Auburn for a touchdown. It was like it was like the whole team celebrated like more excited than they would for if if Kenny McIntosh broke a 60-yard run. It's like, yeah, you're that's a normal guy to break a, a, a make a play like this. But it's something about when Stetson Bennett is actually running around improvising, making those plays. No disrespect to Down syndrome people out there. I wasn't misconstrued. But the guy on the end of the bench, you kind of know what mm -hmm. I'm saying. When the water boy kind of gets some ticks or something. It feels like it just has this kind of the team rallies around Stetson because he does ha he does those intangible things. And I think he just he kind of brings an energy to this team. So a rushing touchdown, sixth rushing touchdown of the season, uh, two passing touchdowns in this one. I thought Stetson was just was just amazing. And then also wanted to give love to my guy, like we said earlier, Drake May. It was just Virginia. Virginia hasn't really been good against anybody. But this guy, week in, week out, he's just absurd. Have you seen his numbers on the season? I have 30, not. 31 touchdowns, three picks, completing 71% of his passes. Also has 500 rushing yards and four touchdowns on the year. Like, this guy's a prototype. Like, he's the number one pick of the draft as far as, far as I'm concerned. Like, if he came out if he came out next year with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, I feel like there'd be some conversation about him going, like, top 10. Like, I think Drake May is that good. He's the next superstar. I'm, I was a big Sam Howell guy, and I think he's – I think he's head and shoulders better than Sam Howell. And he's only he's only a true freshman. So Drake May, give him some love as well. He North Carolina's defense is just just plain bad. They didn't get necessarily torched in this one, but the offense basically carries them every single game. And Drake May, Drake May's basically done that every single game uh with the whole with the whole team on his shoulders. So give me, give me Drake May. And also, last one, Jaden Daniels got mm. the Greg Jennings Award this week. Because he put the team on his back, though. I don't know if you know that. You have to know that reference, right? The oh, I, I know the reference. Okay. Yeah. I guess it just wasn't funny. You didn't. You didn't laugh at all. So I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of old. It was just kind of. It's a. It's a dated Fair reference. Enough. But yeah, yeah. Jaden Daniels. I feel like he balled out. He was the reason Alabama yeah. LSU got the win over Alabama. So yeah, another another helmet sticker there. With the broken freaking leg. Yeah, Greg Jennings, man. Yeah. Um. Put the team on his back, though. You know, I I, I remember. Took on Darren Sharper, one of the hardest hitters <laughs> in the league. But yeah, there you go. Uh, Matt Green, uh, always a pleasure. Um, congrats again on the victory. Um, here's to this being the last Georgia victory over Tennessee in any sport uh, for another calendar year. Uh, that would be ideal. Basketball, women's basketball. Uh, men's basketball, women's basketball, men's baseball, softball, all the you other can, sports that we look forward to. Uh, yeah, we can have all of it. Um, let us have those and you can keep football for the time being. Um, Matt Green, always a pleasure. And I will talk to you in a couple days. Your class act, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.